Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure if you can do this homeschool thing, if you are a homeschool mama challenged by overwhelm, there are just too many things to do, or if you are a homeschool mama looking for connection and encouragement, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmedLife.com, and I'm here to encourage you in your homeschool journey. So let's turn our homeschool challenges into our homeschool charms. In celebration of our first season of the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast, I give thanks to the podcast reviewers that shared on Apple Podcasts. First to Tataloco, she says, Great first podcast. Teresa is engaging, honest, and to the point. She comes across as genuinely wanting to connect with her listeners. I look forward to hearing the next episode. Thank you. That is genuinely true. If I was able to have a chat or a cup of tea with each of you, I really would do it. And also to Mommy, is it Mama Yay1234. This is my favorite podcast ever. So amazing and informational. Wow, that is quite something. I am honored. Thank you. And to Zhaj MRG, such an important topic. This is such a valuable and important topic for all moms, especially those who are homeschooling. Thank you for the variety of guests you have on and for caring so much about other moms. Well, I think I came into this world for the purpose of encouraging other moms. I have learned that for me, part of my personal vision is recognizing that I am an encourager. That's that's at core, no matter where I am or what I do. And having been a homeschool mom for quite some time, I know what it's like to be in the trenches, to experience homeschooling with all of its charms and all of its challenges. And so I want to be an encouragement to all of you out there. So I am honored to have nearly completed an entire season of the Homeschool Mama Self-Care podcast, but even more honored to be connecting with real homeschool moms in my Homeschool Mama retreat and online on Instagram and Facebook. And if I could do this in real time, and surely I will one day, have a virtual retreat in my own backyard, I would love to have a true cup of tea with you and hear about your real homeschool challenges. Okay, so on with the show. Erica is a self-directed education and conscious parent coach who currently homeschools her three children aged six, four, and two. She is a passionate advocate and enthusiast for self-directed education. In coaching families, she uses an integrated approach, including evidence-based educational psychology with emerging brain and nervous system science, conscious parenting, mindfulness, meditation, and various professional teaching practices. She's a former K-5 classroom teacher and K-12 educational technology coordinator with a master's degree in administration and supervision and a master's degree educational technology with a BA in child psychology. She's also an online course developer and facilitator for Wiley. She chose the name Conscious Homeschooling for one reason, to optimize our powerful learning capacities when we are aware when we are aware of how our ego, our trauma, our agendas, our expectations prevent us from showing up for ourselves and our children in ways that cultivate connection, deep learning, and unconditional love. Her 12-week coaching program is for families who struggle with overwhelm, anxiety, and confusion 
that want to find confidence, joy, and peace in their parenting and homeschool experience. You can find more information about her coaching program at www.conscioushomeschooling.com or find her on Facebook and Instagram at Conscious Homeschooling as well. Welcome, Erica. It is such a pleasure to meet you. Yesterday, or in the last couple of days, I noted on your Instagram page that you're just putting things out there that really connect with me. And that's how we connected, is really that I'm seeing all the things that you share. It's so practical and so based and foundational for what we need to be doing as homeschoolers that I'm just like, I have to have you on the podcast and share you with the homeschool community. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to see you and to meet you and to be a guest. Teresa, thank you. And I appreciate everything you've been doing for the homeschool community. I'm learning a lot from you as well. And I know you're contributing so much to families' livelihoods and our ability to homeschool in the way that they want to. Thank you. Yeah, we really have common interests uh, when it comes to self-directed education. And also, you call it conscious homeschooling. And really, I see that as who are you? How do you show up with your kids in your world? Like, who are you? What, what are you all about? What's your goals in life or your vision in life? How do you re- uh, respond, not react to what's going on in your surroundings? All of that I see through the course content that you have, which we're going to definitely go into depth here. And also everything that you share on Instagram. So I'm really glad you're here. But I want other people to hear about the kind of stuff that you actually put out there. So in the last couple of days, you shared witness with deep empathy and compassion, your pain and fear, so that you can do the same for your children. And it's that kind of engagement or that approach with homeschooling and with yourself. That's kind of the basis of, you know, the the content that I see you share on your Instagram page. Your vision for your homeschool, I definitely want to tackle that. But I first want to hear about your story and your homeschool family, how you entered homeschooling and also what homeschooling looks like for you right now. Yes, thank you. Um, So I have a... A six-year-old, four-year-old, and two-year-old. Um, so we're new to the homeschooling community, yet I've been in education, uh, the field of education, for almost 20 years now. So my background is in teacher education and administration and supervision, educational technology. Um, I have wide array of experience with coaching families, tutoring children, um, SAT prep, and all content areas from the traditional education realm. Um, going into the homeschooling, it wasn't a planned um, approach or experience, um, a planned decision. Uh, my children, my eldest was in a preschool program for a little while, two days a week. It was a beautiful, wonderful program. In many ways, I appreciate and definitely see the need for traditional education and the school system itself. And the teachers are so dedicated and so helpful and compassionate with, you know, their vision to support education and support learning. And But for my oldest daughter, I mean, she was really just excelling at such a young age. She was reading as early as age three. It was such a joy being home with her. I left teaching when she was just over one years old and I was, I still do work from home. So I thought, you know, let me give this homeschooling thing a try. 
And it's been going wonderful ever since. I'm just happy to have this freedom, this flexibility. The traditional school approach has a lot of limitations, shortcomings, and challenges, as I think many of us are well aware, especially here in the U.S. So I was happy just to have that freedom, that flexibility, to be able to live life's experiences and connect living through the real world learning through life experiences as opposed to the other way around, where as I saw an experience in the classroom, it's your molding and shaping and shifting the content and trying to meet specific, you know, traditional standards to fit real world experiences. So why not just be out in the real world, right? And be able to embrace that and learn through your life, right? Learn through living. It's been adventurous, right? And it's been able to help my family and I um, align Um, the educational approach with what we value, you know, connection, um, being together, family, and being out in nature and adventure, um, and real world learning, things that are meaningful and purposeful to our individual experiences. So I experienced from the beginning, I went from a traditional private school experience for my older two, and then transitioned into homeschooling, I didn't understand that I had a very self-directed focus. Um, That's how I mentally approached homeschooling, except that when I got into the practicality of homeschooling, I kept shifting it towards a traditional looking schooled environment. In fact, probably more private school than the private school they were in. And um, I did that for three years and then went full on unschooling because it didn't fit and it wasn't working for my oldest daughter. And so I sat her down in a Starbucks and I said, we're not going to be homeschooling anymore. I'm not going to prescribe any activities for you anymore. And of course, she was happy until about six months later, when I realized that the other three needed more structure, and they needed a different kind of education. But I often hear a lot of people's different stories. And mostly, the majority of the self-directed learning community in my experience, wasn't automatically going straight into self-directed education. They kind of meandered, uh, you know, an independent path. And then as they learned their kids and they learned more about educational opportunities and they learned about all the different facets of personalities and, and in their child's interests, they said, I don't have to do it traditionally. So I'm curious what your path into self-directed education was. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And I mean, similar to many of us, um, you know, majority of of us um, who've been through the traditional educational programming, um, it just feels comfortable, right, to have, to fall back on these past practices or to school and to think of learning, think of education and the way in which, you know, people acquire knowledge in that traditional way, um, whether it's rote memorization, um, whether it's, you know, testing, and paper and pencil assessments. So it's common to find when you're starting off in homeschool to have this idea, this vision of, okay, this is what kind of curriculum, you know, you you go right into the curriculum, meaning what texts are we using? How am I going to, you know, assess my, my child's progress? And um, which is always has a place and self-directed education certainly uses those more traditional approaches, but it's what it is, is always child-led, you know, it's based on choice, 
know, your, your child has the, the choice to say yes or no, because I, I do have an interest in following their interests and their passions, their talents, right, and their strengths. Funny enough, I mean, my, my journey is probably similar to yours. I mean, I did being going through a teacher education program, being a public school educator, you know, I excel. That was my skill set to be able to build content and build unit, unit plans and lesson plans and, you know, um, look at the standards and think, oh, how can I develop an engaging lesson that's going to teach to the standard? And you think of learning as very um, linear, you know, a certain trajectory of, okay, the kids are in kindergarten are going to start to read, learning, you know, basic reading skills, basic math skills, pattern, recognition, counting. Um, but I too found when, you know, I, I enjoyed that. So sitting down with the kids or playing with them at home um, when Sarah was, my oldest was three and um, then and when she was four. So he started off some mornings with, you know, a morning meeting or circle time, um, counting, you know, days on the calendar. And not to say that that doesn't have a place, but it was more, you know, parent directed, teacher directed. So that traditional approach of following, here's their objective for the day. It, it's all coming from me. I basically was doing too much talking. <laughs> yeah, right? that's the truth. I was also doing too much read aloud. I had yeah. three read alouds in my first three years. I would do three oh, separate really? hours of read alouds in a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's so you great just... too. But yeah, I mean, I just found that I just had to follow the kids' lead. They just had to follow, you know, well, where are your interests? What do you want to play with today? And kids um, learn so much through play. That's how they learn, right? And up until they're, uh, in their tween years, you know, 12, mm-hmm. and they're ready maybe to take, um, some, get into dual enrollment or some higher level, higher education classes, um, and start thinking more in terms of, you know, creating a portfolio or, but yeah, I just, I thought I, we just need to play. And that has sadly like left traditional school classrooms in many ways, although it is coming back and my work in with in my job with Wiley has shown me that there, the, sh- the shift is happening in public schools and it has been happening for a long, long while. It's just slow to actualize, slow to realize for various reasons, right? But there is professional development workshops left and right about brain-based learning, play-based uh-huh. learning, self-directed education, self-regulated learning, all that kind of you know, more unschooling approach. So there's certainly some overlap, but my journey in it was just experiencing it. You know, our kids are our greatest teachers, right? So they have taught me that this is the natural um, tried and true really and um, way in which the this constructivist like experiential way of, of learning, how we, how really, really humans, yeah, how humans learn best. It's just, through living, through life, through experience, and with, but through their own desire, mm-hmm. right? So you talk about the three essential needs of a child. Would you share what those are and why they're important for our homeschools? Oh, yes. Three essential needs for a child and really for all of us to be seen, right? To be heard, to feel like you matter, and to feel safe. And that's often 
so lost. So there's so much overlap right now. I'm becoming certified, right. To be a conscious parent coach. So that's a huge part of like what I do as a, why, you know, where conscious homeschooling came from this overlap between learning and subjected education and parenting, what we, how we show up for ourselves is how we're going to be able to show up for our kids. Right. And because of how, you know, our conditioning and because of the way in which we were probably parented and also through our culture and traditional um, programming, we oftentimes may not have always been seen and heard and made to feel safe, Mm -hmm. but that's really an essential core need when you're not feeling safe, right? In your body, then parts in your brain are not receptive to learning. So then there's this anxiety, the stress that actually hinders and, and blocks any kind of growth. So that's really, absolutely, yeah, that is my experience actually as a child and mm-hmm. going from high school and not being in a safe, safe environment when I was at home in my family and then mm-hmm. going to college and being separate. And I saw a gigantic GPA increase. So when people talk about um, college being a whole bunch more challenging than high school, and maybe it be so, but my experience bore out that I was in a safe environment and I did so much better. And everything we learn about brain-based psychology and the ability to shift the brain and change the brain says that if you create that attached, safe space, then you are able to just do all sorts of things you might not have thought that you'd be able to do. You know, this discussion bears out in our homeschools because we create an atmosphere, as Charlotte Mason encourages, that the homeschool is really the atmosphere. They learn most from the atmosphere. And, you know, when I say that, I just want to emphasize when I when we talk about atmosphere, it puts a sense of potential guilt on homeschool parents that you're not creating the perfect atmosphere. And I know that from experience, looking back and saying, okay, I did not create the perfect atmosphere, nor do I still always create the perfect atmosphere. But your discussion on what are you doing so that you can create an internal atmosphere of feeling seen and heard and feeling worthy and having a place in this world or that you matter, that right there, whatever you are able to give to yourself that is what you can give to your kids. And just like you said, when you have that basis, you really do just provide this environment or atmosphere where they can just latch on to learning. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, all those things. I mean, that internal wor- world, right? Tuning into your internal world. And and no, there is no perfection. You know, there's, it, there's perfection in the imperfection, right? As the saying goes. Um, no, but to put that expectation on yourself, um, certainly you have hopes, desires, I mean, values, you know, to start off for any newbies out there. I mean, to start off with coming into um, connection with what you value, what your family values, you know, you always want to start off um, connecting your decisions, the experiences you choose to engage in the books you read, the content, the curriculum you do purchase, the um, programs and classes you sign up for, do they align, you know, to your value system, right? That's key and essential, but the environment itself, no, I mean, there is, you know, 
it aligns so much too to like math and science principles of growth mindset and, mm. and persistence through frustrating experiences and challenges. I mean, there's going to be no perfection. And while that's often hard to overcome, because oftentimes like we fall into our perfectionism and our need to control, right? Which is just that ego-based um, psyche coming out, that protective mindset to want to control, to help ourselves feel safe. But so it's, it's an, it's a slow unfolding of all of that. Um, but to be able to create an environment with that's in alignment with your values and to understand that there is just so much beauty and joy and learning in the mistakes and the mess ups and the imperfection, you know, there really is. I mean, I can remember many times in the beginning, early on, you know, setting and expect wanting to have, have a particular lesson and see it through. Right. Like, um, <laughs> with, I remember this one, like I invited the kids, my daughter to create, she at the time was really into superheroes. So we were doing some kind of, um, Captain America, making a Captain American shield. And I had the paper, um, the paper plates and the, um, and the paints, and we were going to like, you know, stencil and color and paint what the shield looks like. So I did it for her. I didn't do it for, I like showed her how to do it, right. I was modeling it. And I said, these are the steps you follow. And she threw, just got frustrated through the process and it ended up, you know, crying and probably throwing it on the floor. And in the end, I realized she just wanted to do it in her own way. Like she didn't want to follow the, the steps as to how to do it, you know? And I thought now I realize that there's that's what learning is all about is making mistakes and doing it in your own way. You know, that's where you can tap into your own innate inborn creativity mm-hmm. and ingenuity. You have a chance to explore that, then you actually don't understand how things are built or how things are not built. Yes. Right, right, exactly. Creating that environment that is certainly grounded in your in your values mm-hmm. and always has, you know, clear, consistent boundaries and limits, but yet there needs to be a lot of flexibility in that and mm-hmm. room for spontaneity. And that's the beauty. That's what I love about these little ones because they teach you that all the time. They're just living yes. in the moment and <laughs> making messes left and right. And there's so much joy in that because if not, you're going to, often fall into your perfectionist, anxious, guilt-ridden feelings and emotions that can can really weigh you down, right? And, And block you and hinder you, which I found further my own experience from just living fully, right? And living joyfully. So how do you engage those feelings when you have them or that experience when you have it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been a process. It's been a learning process. You know, I, you go through your own inner healing and growth from and looking back at how you may have been raised or how um, the traditional school approach or just their culture and traditions, how they've really shaped you so much and built like a belief system of yourself that's so limiting, right? So I found that the 
you know, you're suffering from these limiting beliefs that once you're able to identify them, and oftentimes they show up right through through the triggers. What triggers you? <laughs> through the triggers is where the healing starts. So, you know, I remember a couple of times when one particular time my daughter was just a toddler, two years old. And I think I gave her one of those like yogurt squeeze packs in, in the stroller. And I said, okay, here you go. Like try not to spill too much. And where she like squirted up all over herself. And then my reactivity crept in. I started yelling and I, start, I got, started getting upset that she spilled this when she was just experimenting, right? She was just, she was just wanted her yogurt. <laughs> so these, this reactivity I found was a pattern for me. And that's where I knew I needed to go inward and I needed to, you know, elicit what I just questioned, why is this happening? Right. And I just wasn't showing up for myself and for my kids the way I wanted to. So it was a slow process. I've been learning and unfolding through my own, you know, education from my own, you know, wisdom teachers that I like to listen to and follow, right? Like Dr. Shapali Tasberry. What I've learned now is how, first of all, to identify when you're feeling in your body that reactivity creeping in. So, I, and I are thinking the same things because I, yeah. I registered in your course, you talk about these six steps to really going inward and what do you do when you're going inward? So I'd love for you to share, you know, those six steps. Okay. Yes. So I don't know if I could tap in. All right. Let me see if I could tap into all of them. Notice all of them. I've got them written down here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Noticing the science of reactivity. I have it here now. Pause. Right. Um. So I found that I was disconnected with myself, right? Mm -hmm. So it starts really with self-connection and tuning into, like you said earlier, your internal internal world and your physiological state, right? We oftentimes are so stuck in our head, stuck in our thoughts, cycling, maybe, maybe, you know, thinking about the past, worrying about the future, you know, just stuck in this cycle of, possibly toxic thoughts, right? But we're off. So we're disconnected from our heads to our heart, right? So and I just want to add that from my personal experience, this is the biggest step, because we assume that whatever we're thinking is just, it's normal. It's what we are. It's, it's actually happening. And if we could actually step outside and recognize that actually, no, just because you're thinking something does not mean it's true, does not mean it's real. You might have a pattern of thinking in a certain way. You might have learned it when you were two, but and continue to learn it, but it doesn't mean it's true. So yeah, that first step you talk about is notice the reactivity. Yes. Yeah. I thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that because you're absolutely right. I mean, you are really not your thoughts when it's not really who you are. Our thoughts are really separate from our true selves, right? So the noticing the signs brings us back into our bodies, right? Our heart space, what's happening in our, in our gut, what's just happening throughout us. So noticing in those moments of trigger, it could be the fast heart rate, right? Your heart beating fast. Oftentimes 
um, your temperature changes, right? You're feeling hot. It's a nervousness. Like sometimes some women I've spoken with um, say they sense it in their ears, like their ears were getting hot. Um, maybe you're starting to sweat, right? I find even now when I notice it, um, a clenched fist or jaw, you know, a tightness, it's a tightness in your belly. So noticing that and then identifying it, right? Naming it and then and so that you can pause and say, this is, this is me reacting. This is a reaction, right? So that way you can take a pause between your response. So then how are you going to, and you can come up with a strategy, right? So the next step, the third step would be interrupting that reactivity with something, calming sensory tool, a deep breath is mine. Every mm-hmm. time I say it online, I still bleed uh, along with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's almost, it's, it's very counterintuitive. I think that just taking a deep breath actually really does slow you, but it really does slow all your physiological systems. It's a guarantee. It's like putting a foot on a brake. It will slow things down. That's right. It's just like metabolic process. And yeah, we often forget even throughout the day, sometimes when, when life just gets too hectic and busy, you do forget to st- to breathe. Like, are you breathing? <laughs> and our breaths become shallow and short, right? And we're breathing sometimes often just from the chest when we're, you know, the full like diaphragmatic breathing is through the belly and up into the chest. So interrupting that reactivity. So that too, because it's circulating the oxygen into your brain, it's allowing more blood flow to come up into your brain and you can then, it's a regulation where you can regulate and get back into. And so instead of staying in the sympathetic nervous system state, fight or flight, you can get back into a parasympathetic rest and digest. And that way in your brain, you're not in the lower part of your brain. You can access like the higher order thinking and you can approach a situation with more empathy and compassion um, and calm, right? Openness and curiosity, right? So that's the next step. And once you're, you know, interrupting the reactivity with a breath, then you can get curious, you know, what's going on here? Would you like, would you like the green cup or the red cup? You know, would you, the green how are you, I literally had this discussion all throughout my childhood on the green cup, but go ahead. <laughs> I know. And my kids are often like wanting very specific, you know, often it's frozen themed or something novel, you know, a new kind of cup that, you know, I made introduce or a straw, <laughs> um, you know, cause my kids are young still. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So getting curious, um, what's going on and that way you can tune in, you know, you're feeling more regulated and you can tune into the other person's experience, you know, your child's experience. So it's that attunement to them. So the next step, right. Is then shifting from a oh, sports casting. With right. Tell me about that, that I don't know intuitively what that means. Oftentimes in the state of reactivity, you come back with judgment. Like, why are you doing that? Why did you have to spill that on the floor? Or what's going on? And, and it's, you know, don't touch that or no. And it's 
a quick to judge, right? And when you're quick to judge and speak up with a reaction, then your child is most likely going to shut down, right? They're not going, they're going to be kind of closed off, off, their brain's really going to be offline. Sportscasting is with neutrality is approaching it without judgment. You know, oh, I see, like stating the facts. I see the water, you know, from the bathtub is on the floor. What's going on there? Let's keep the water in the tub. Can you help me clean this up? So just kind of stating without, and you know what? I want to, I want to talk to you about your tone in that because something as subtle as your facial expressivity and your tone that can also cause a defense mechanism too. You know, if the tone is more low pitch that comes with, you know, a sense of um, harshness, right. Or judgment, or even the speed at which you're talking. Why is there, you know, why is there water all over the floor? Or what's going on here? Why did you do that? If it's, so those few pieces, you know, I'm writing a course this fall for Wiley on the polyvagal theory. So I've been learning the past year a lot about Stephen Porges' polyvagal theory. And there's so much to be said for your facial expressions. And that connects a lot with how your sports, sports, sports casting and how you approach a situation. And so that you're not, you know, getting into or eliciting like a defense mechanism. Uh-huh. So is there a sports casting with neutrality and how we engage ourselves as well? Or are we specifically speaking about the kids and how we engage the kids? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Definitely. I'd say, okay, as humans, right? I mean, we're going to be imperfect and it's important to embrace the mistakes. And we're always our own worst critic, self-critic. So when you feel and, and hear in your thoughts or even your beliefs about yourselves, about yourself, I'm not a good mom. Oh, I'm feeling... um incompetent. I can't do this. I feel disgusted. You know, however you're feeling that day, noting, you know, why are you feeling that way? So be getting curious and being neutral in terms of letting go like of the judgment. It's, it's okay. If you didn't sleep good. Okay. I understand. I'm going to have going to be a bit cranky today. So how can I get my needs met? more, you know, prioritize my needs because I had a rough night's sleep. Yeah. I didn't get time. Oftentimes it's connected to our own needs not being met. Right. But yeah, the, the, with, without judgment, so letting go of, oh, you know, this always happens to me. The belief that, you know, you're incompetent, you can't do this. You're not a good mom. Mm -hmm. Give yourself some self-compassion and forgiveness. I think there's such a pervasive approach as mothers or the idea that mothers provide everything for their kids, which is kind of true because we're placed in this very significant role in our children's lives. And as they grow up, actually, you discover that there's all sorts of people that have been part of their lives, not just you. And most importantly, 
we're equipping them to self-nurture. That's the goal so that they can go on to be independent as well and then relate to you more um, separately or independently instead of, you know, um, a needy two-year-old when they're 36. Um, it, It shifts because they grow up and they learn how to individuate. But the culture expects that we're supposed to be everything for our kids. And therefore, we also expect that. And reality check, we actually have means. And it isn't a selfish notion that you take care of yourself. It isn't a mom-focused homeschool. It is that mom is as important to have her needs met as the kids. And when we engage ourselves, like it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, I'm here for my kids to do things for my kids. And I won't check in with myself like you're talking about self-compassion those tactics or approaches, then we really are missing a major portion of um, our homeschools. We're also really not taking note of the reality of the homeschool atmosphere. Yes, absolutely. And and I know that's what your um, course and your book, you know, touches upon is that the self-care and that, you know, you are an integral part of the family. You are a human being, you have needs. And Oftentimes, we've been just kind of conditioned to neglect those needs, whether it was when we were younger, um, we haven't hadn't had those boundaries modeled for us. So maybe you had um, a very like, you know, a a parent figure who was kind of self-sacrificing or playing the martyr role um, and boundaries were not very clear. So you find as a, as an adult, then it being difficult to set your own boundaries, or maybe you find that there's some guilt there. Is there, is there a bit of, I I shouldn't be taking care of myself or I, you know, I, I don't deserve that. So the very last aspect you said to practice at negotiation and play. Yes. Yes, I love this one because so after, you know, with some kind of challenge, right, Um, or a, um, an experience, a situation, and um, I mean, you know, just getting ready for bed or, um, you know, getting into the car, choosing what you want to eat for lunch or um, working through any kind of frustration when you're doing a puzzle, whatever it is with your child, um, Kids want to have, I mean, we're, we're willful um, humans, right? We're meant to express our, um, our initiative to be autonomous beings, to make decisions for ourselves. So what better way to foster that in our children than to give them choices and then to model for them and teach them the art of negotiation. And it's always has to be through play. I say always, but you know, that's the language of children is play. Play is the language of children. So if you're looking to, you know, let's say, for example, they don't want to get out of the bath instead of a, a demand, a power over, you know, traditional parenting approach of let's get out of the bath now, you know, bath time's over, making it an ultimatum or giving them maybe a bribe or a reward to get out of the bath. You can connect with them first through play, you know, just maybe sit down with them, 
just for half a minute or a minute, observe their play, you know, come in, um, maybe not, not even saying anything, just being present. And again, going back to your facial expressivity, smile, half smile, maybe a giggle, asking a question. Oh, what is that? What is that duck doing? You know, what is that boat? Where's that boat going in the water? Um, So playing to connect first, and then it, it, in their child's brain opens them up, you know, then they're more receptive Mm -hmm. to hearing you and, and listening and and following and, and following directions, or they feel safe in their bodies when they feel like you get them, right? You connect with them. Right. On their terms and in their activity, not just one that you think would be fun to do with them. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So just kind of attuning to them and write the art of negotiating and play, because oftentimes you might find it's going to be a negotiation because, you know, sometimes if if, it depends on what your negotiables are and your non-negotiables are in your family for like boundaries and limits you know in our home it's non-negotiable that the kids you know cannot wear shoes in the house for example if we take our shoes off right so if the kids are wearing shoes in the house okay let's go take the shoes off or jumping on the couch for example like we don't allow that in our home or um running in our home so there's are non-negotiables but with things that are negotiable you know like the bath example they're they really they're having fun they want to continue in the bath but you know that it's getting late and they need they should really be getting to bed soon so you can negotiate how much time you know it's if they want to spend another minute or maybe they say uh mom can i spend 10 more minutes you know you have the right to say no no that's too many how about something less than 10 That's part of that um, value in conscious homeschooling about enabling agency with our kids. Yes. Agency. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful word that I continue to hear mostly self-directed educators focus in. And would you share a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah. So agency is feeling it's your ability and capacity to act in a situation, to act in an experience. You know, if you have the skill set and the desire to, you know, fix something, to make a decision about something, then you feel like you can be a self-governing agent in the experience, right? And make a decision. So sometimes, you know, it depends on what's developmentally appropriate for the kid. You know, I'm not going to always let, I'm not going to let my two-year-old go into the refrigerator and get the almond milk and pour it all by himself. But yet there's, I could scaffold it. I could support him, facilitate it. You know, he does go, I love it. He'll go right into the refrigerator, pick up what he wants, carry it to the table, but then be next to him to support him as he pours it, you know, or maybe let him pour it a little bit by himself and see the natural consequence of like, it spills a little bit, right? So can mommy help you? Um, So the agency is, yeah, just having that capacity and the drive to make decisions and and to act in in a situation. And I love that because 
um, that's really taken away from so many of us in the traditional factory model of style of school. There's little agency and autonomy. Um, slowly, I do see it, you know, teachers trying to place learning back in the hands of students and give them more choice and agency. But again, you're always like bound by standards and standardized testing, right? That's one of the beauty of homeschooling too, is, you know, you can foster that so much more easily. I find it, it's counterintuitive. It definitely didn't make sense to me when people would talk about trying to motivate their kids and what would they do to motivate their kids. And I've learned that actually don't motivate the kids. Don't try to motivate the kids. Don't try to tell them how to do things or you can strew, but you really do need to back off and say, okay, you strewed the thing. They're not interested. Let it go. And, or else telling them, you know, wouldn't this be fun if we did this there? I understand why people think that that could potentially motivate kids, except that when you delete all of so many, I should say, of the expectations around an education for your kids, they actually tap in quicker to what they really want to do. And they're much more likely to follow their interests. And they're completely motivated to do the thing that they want to do. They're just not necessarily motivated to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it. Right. right. Seems counterintuitive. It certainly was not obvious to me. Yeah. And that's a good point. And yeah, I mean, we, I, I always think of, you know, I want to model and, and foster and nurture free thinking, um, ambitious and driven, motivated, intrinsically motivated um, beings, right? I want to feel like the kids, my kids have their, um, you know, passions from their hearts and from their souls and from their minds that they feel confident. And because, We truly are born, like we're born mathematicians, we're born learners. We know, like from an evolutionary standpoint, learning through living and life is, it's all educative, right? And and it's all intrinsic. I mean, that's, it's, we're, that's how we, that's why we're here. That's why how we're able to survive is we're surviving because we need to adapt to our environment. We need to you know, pick up on skills and knowledge and capacities that help us survive, right? And so it, the environment is, is definitely critical. I mean, there's ways in which you want to nurture literacy and numeracy and all those things, but yeah. certainly... You know, I find um, your discussion in your course about Socrates and Aristotle um, very interesting Uh, my daughter who is in her second year of university, she's finishing up her second year, her first year, she took um, discussions of philosophy. So Socrates and et cetera. And she's, it paid a real compliment to me to say that I had a very Socratic methodical approach to homeschooling, which obviously was not intended because I want to ask you, what would you say the Socratic method is, or why do you include Socrates in your course discussion? Oh, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Well, I too have like, so is, is she studying philosophy or psychology? I just I'm curious. Yes. And Latin and ancient history and all of all of those things. Yeah. Okay. Oh, My unschooled great. kid, by the way, the one I sat down in uh, Starbucks and said, we are going to unschool and you will never have to do academics yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that kiddo. Yeah. I mean, we all have passions and there's certain paths we want to take. And sometimes that does require like traditional academics, right? And yeah, it does. And that's when they're motivated to do it, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, Yeah. No, tell me more about the Socratic method. Yeah. I mean, I brought up um, Socrates and Plato because of these ancient philosophers, just to make the connection that self-directed education is not a new concept. I mean, it's been around for ages. Yeah. So while we got stuck in this factory model of schooling approach due to the industrial revolution and kind of wanting to teach and program students in a particular manner so that they are prepared to work in factories, it's really, it's disconnected and doesn't relate to how humans approach learning, like how we learn best. And that is as Socrates, and I don't know if you do have a quote there from what, you know, this quote probably related to experiential learning and learning through questioning. Yeah. And and questioning. Right. I mean, we are born naturally curious. I mean, if you think about the manner in which babies um, attune to their mother's voice, the way in which they play with um, their toys and play with things in their environment, why do they go up to, you know, toys, the wires or blocks and balls, or why do they ask so many questions? Because we're naturally curious. Uh We're naturally curious. And the curiosity leads to deeper inquiry, deeper learning and understanding. And that's what um, the ancient philosophers modeled for us and wrote about the inquiry-based approach. And it really assumes that the learner is capable of exploring and is capable of understanding instead of this um, top-down approach where I'm going to tell you what to think and then you are going to remember it until you're tested and then you're going to test out and then we're going to build on some other stuff and hopefully you'll remember the stuff from before. But, and, you know, understandably, I'm not suggesting that there shouldn't be a systematized approach to an education in their culture because Mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of people that just couldn't homeschool their kids. But, you know, let's go school reform. It would be fabulous if we could do a school reform, but I'll just focus on homeschooling. And in the homeschool realm, we have very few kids. We probably don't have 800 children and we don't have to manage that many kids. So then we engage our kids and we encourage them to ask the questions and we encourage them to explore, like you said, in play, even even as older kids, they can still explore and play and then start to build their education based on some really uh, formative, really base, like, like questioning, like really getting into the deep stuff by actually doing the experimentation and asking the questions. Yes. Yeah. Alison Gopnik is one of, one of, one of my favorite authors, right? She wrote, I think it's the carpenter and the gardener um, and, and the philosophical baby. Um, I mean, she writes a lot about that too. And there's so much research behind um, our in insatiable curiosity that we're born with and oftentimes that's just stifled so much in traditional schools um but yeah being that I have young ones you know my youngest is two it's just been so um 
just inspiring, I think, yeah. and, and beautiful to see that unfold so naturally. Yeah. Um, and, and then that's where, anyway, so learning is just, can be, de- and in your education can be fostered and, and built a- around those curiosities and those curiosities can be nurtured. I mean, you, I write too about the beginner's mindset, how oftentimes adults get stuck in procedural, like right or wrong approaches, um, you know, doing it the right way, not the wrong way, or um, being an expert at something. But there's so much value and authenticity around like getting curious with your kids because being a learner and you probably have seen that and experienced it so much. There's so much relearning to happen and yeah, to to share in the joy that comes. And that's what, right. You were trying to instill is like lifelong learning. Yeah. Yesterday we're on the beach actually. And I'm taking note of the ripples of sand underneath the water and So I said to my 12-year-old and 18-year-old, but mostly to my 12-year-old, I wonder what causes those ripples on the sand. And I'm doing what I often do, kind of like just throwing questions out there because he's he's curious and he'll go look it up at home. But he said to me, what, mom, you don't know that? I'll tell you why. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Yeah, so it turns out I was uh, asking him something that he clearly knew he was yeah, pretty clear on awesome. but it's very easy to do that to approach their learning in that way and to spawn all sorts of different paths that you can go down and I'm pretty sure we've covered them all and just or covered a lot anyways of different um uh, different content things that you might find in a school but um when you talk about conscious homeschooling I would love to hear what you think about the pillars of conscious homeschooling I love the word conscious homeschooling and I don't know that it's fully understood by everyone. Okay. Yeah. The pillars, they're so important to me. And I really picked conscious homeschooling because I saw such a deep connection between becoming more aware of our ego and our conditioning, our patterning, and how we learn in the learning process. Because I just found learning... I had so many blocks and, and we, and we touched upon earlier, you, you brought up, you know, testing and, and this traditional school approach and learning things just to learn, like just to kind of memorize it and, and have it, you know, for the test, just to pass the test. Right. And we're being motivated extrinsically from grades or from rewards or punishments, even um, that just takes you away from this, lifelong love of learning and learning for the sake of learning. But I saw this deep connectivity between the self-directed education approach, like our inborn, you know, innate and insatiable curiosity and need to learn and our own um, self-healing and unfolding. So conscious homeschooling came because of that growing awareness, like in in consciousness, like you're aware of your past patterning you're aware of your belief system and how that's impacting your your actions your choices your behaviors it's focusing on the parent's internal world and your own healing so that you can create that environment in your home where learning can flourish right and where your kids could 
align with their true selves, follow their passions, and feel fully supported, you know, through their um, intense emotions, through their frustrations and struggles, through their, you know, when they make, make a wrong decision or through the confusion that, that often happens in life, you know, but just so that you can be, they can feel, you can feel safe, enter a place of safety in your body and so that they can feel safe. So that's, and the pillars relate to that first and foremost, that Mm self-awareness. So being aware of your reactivity, right? Identifying your triggers. And it's so meaningful because I, I just see it in myself. And then I see it in so many families that I speak with, like that you want so much for your kids and you want to like do right by them. But oftentimes you, it's, it's, it's difficult. And sometimes you don't know where to start in the end, you know, you want to feel supported to look inward and heal the pains of your past and maybe just feel more open and free to do things a little bit differently. Right. Because just because you did something one way and you were taught one way, like, doesn't mean you're your kid's going to follow that same. So would you share with me all the pillars of the conscious homeschooling? Yeah, sure. Self-awareness, that self-connection, like being in relationship with yourself. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that moms often want to put the needs of others, their children first, but you have to be comfortable and feel connected to yourself and take time, carve out that time. Where's your support system? Um, how are you going to fit it into your day to, for you to take care of yourself first and foremost, right? Knowing the self, knowing yourself and being able to find habits and uh, new patterns that help you learn how to let go of the inner critic and let go of the self-judgment, you know, journaling has been a super helpful tool for me in the past. In addition to, as I said, like learning, listening to podcasts and reading books from, um, you know, wisdom teachers, like for me, Dr. Shafali, right? Yeah, me too. Check, check, check. All three three things that are really big for me. And when you talk about all these different pillars in conscious homeschooling, I think it's funny that I go into homeschooling and many people do and they think, got to be concerned about homeschool academics. What am I going to do for curriculum? How am I going to create a schedule? And they're worried about the socialization question, mostly because everybody keeps asking about it. But, But the biggest concern is actually this content right here. This is the stuff that really shapes your homeschool. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, all of those, those um, concerns are certainly valid. You know, you think you, you want to do right by your kids. You want to be sure they're well-educated. So there's always a place in discussion for, to discuss those things, but yeah, tuning into yourself and, and next identifying your triggers. So I started with writing down again, journaling, writing down why, um, where are my triggers, you know? what time, why am I being triggered? And when is that happening? So then if you find a pattern, is it your child, you know, resistance to getting dressed in the morning? Is it they're whining? Is it, um, you know, when they're saying no to you, is it the crying, the hitting, you know, what's going on? What triggers you? What, where, when do you, are you feeling that physiological reaction? So we talk a lot about that in my program and mindfulness practices. 
as I know you do as well, tuning into your present physiological state, being able to tune into um, sensations in your body and sensations in your environment that help ground yourself, you know, feeling your feet on the ground, feeling the cup in your hand, you know, maybe looking up at the sky and noting the clouds moving across the sky. Uh, Sometimes I'll just go in my backyard and lay down in the grass for a few minutes just to feel more grounded. (laughs) Smell the lilacs. There's a lot of lilacs in our area right now. Oh, nice. And and kids are are really good, obviously, at teaching us how to be, be present. You know, I obviously... There's obviously something to be said for when you have a class to get to, a meeting to go to, you know, there's certain, there's a need, we all have a need for structure and order, but as I said earlier, you know, you need a good amount of spontaneity in there. But the next pillar would be managing your expectations, which we touched on too, right? I mean, just because things were done one way when you were a child or in your past or it worked for you doesn't mean it's going to work for your child. Taking an unconventional approach to learning and to education, even, you know, you think of the manner in which math might be taught, you know, you start with pattern recognition and then counting and then additions and subtraction. There's so much research, mathematicians who write about how like unproductive that that is, right? And, and to approach math from a more foundational approach of like what math is all about, which is creativity and curiosity and, you know, looking at things in a whole new way, managing your expectations, right? And, and, and that's, it's a slow process, you know, you're not just gonna say, all right, I'm going to be able to tune into my expectations and, and and manage them health in a healthy way overnight, you know, that will happen over time. Over a decade. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the next color would be slowing down. Mm -hmm. Um, Even now, as I say the words, and I'm talking, it's, probably a reminder to me to slow maybe my the my speech a bit and relax into the experience Mm -hmm. but reminds me too of your energy right because my kids and and children will feed off of and mirror your energy Mm -hmm. so if they're feeling if you I'm sorry if you're feeling stressed or anxious or a need to rush and and move quickly then you're children will mirror that and they might and it could make them enter into a state of more dysregulation in their nervous system where they're feeling like oh mom's you know not really doesn't really have it together right now so I'm feeling dysregulated in my body so slowing down is a key pillar and then self-reflection so those practices daily and I know you said this and then you write about this in your book is taking time to journal. So we talk a lot about meditation. I mean, I have a meditation practice and it's just a few minutes a day. I think sometimes in a certain portion of the homeschooling world, um, yoga and meditation has a really negative vibe to it because it's perceived as a very religious practice. And it can be if you want it to be, but it is applicable to everybody to just be still. And it's remarkable how just being still for a short period of the day actually helps to, over the long term, delete, I guess, a certain level of angst or unhappiness or whatever 
experience that you have on the regular. If you can just sit with yourself, I don't know why it is that it works like that, but it is proven in randomized controlled trials. It is an effective tool to getting into a peaceful place within yourself. So I think it's something that might be labeled in a certain way, but I want to get it out of that place of being labeled because it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And there is like the spiritual aspect, but um, there's, it's also in very intimately connected to the physiological aspect um, of, you know, kind of watching your thoughts pass by and tuning into your breath can actually that physiological shift into that parasympathetic nervous system state of rest, digest, restoration, vitality, that can completely shift your thoughts, right? And your perspective. So just a few moments of like, as you said, stillness, I often, and you can do a walking meditation or a move, you know, movement when I'm at the, uh, when I'm at the sink washing dishes, sometimes I find I'm just either I close my eyes or even not, I just kind of watch my thoughts pass by and connect to my breath. And I feel this like surrender of any kind of tension in my body. And it resets, it just resets, it feels that that release, right, can kind of bring you back to a state of, as Stephen Porges writes about the social engagement nervous system state, where you're just um, more connectivity to yourself, like you're in reciprocity with yourself and with your kids and your mm-hmm. environment. So yeah, self-reflection meditation, and then along the same lines, like tuning into your feelings and your needs. One book I read recently was um, Nonviolent Communication yes. by Marshall Rosenberg. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It has a big impact in my family life. And I just okay. did an interview with someone else discussing about nonviolent communication in our homeschools. Oh, okay. I, I look forward to hearing that. And I, I look forward to hearing your experiences with that because it has been transformative for myself as well. Being able to know how to communicate. I mean, we talk about letting go of expectations and self-care and self-awareness and I like naming your triggers or your feelings, but there is something to be said. There's a skill that I think to be learned effectively communicate in a way that that author, Marshall Rosenberg, was a hostage negotiator in some very significant areas of the world. And I think if you can do hostage negotiating there, <laughs> we can figure out how to help our kids navigate their conflict over the green cup. Yeah, very good point. That's a great point. Yeah, so I love that piece. And getting your needs met. I mean, I found just recently, even like in the past year, so much growth in myself and and confidence, being able to speak up for how I'm feeling and what I need in that moment. Sometimes if you don't have maybe say the, the manpower, the support to have you know, a friend, a family come help you with the kids and you might have to resort to the TV or something, but mommy is feeling tired in her body. I really can't function right now. So I am in need of rest. So I'm going to go lay down for a few minutes. You know, being able to confidently and effectively communicate that. You can show up the way you want to show up. And you're also teaching your kids how to advocate for themselves. 
Right. And tune into their bodies. And that's what, too, I love about self-directed education, just a side yeah. note. I mean, the ability to become more self-aware and not be told you can only go to the bathroom at this certain time or only sleep <laughs> yeah. at this specific time. And that way they can tune into their own body and what they need. And then the next pillar is modeling empathy and compassion. We touched upon that a little bit, but I mean, I always talk about how being able to practice and learn how to be compassionate and empathetic with yourself first. So you can show mm-hmm. that, you know, with your children um, and practicing self-care and inner child healing. It's the ninth pillar. And then I talk about, you know, just exercises and, and journaling prompts that I'll share related to creating that coherent narrative with your past and present and future and healing. You know, we talk about those, the three needs of every child to be seen and to be heard and made feel like you matter. That can be an entire episode to itself that we really should do someday. Yeah, I know. Good idea. Absolutely. So much. And even like the attachment science research behind that. So much needs to be said. And then lastly, just I'd say trusting trusting your children. And with that comes seeing it like happening before me, the, the, um, the learning that unfolds so naturally. Yes. And that the trusting that your children, when there's a need and when there's a desire, they will learn what they need to learn to be reliant, independent, confident, you know, productive citizens of society, but to read and the, the research behind that, the science behind in the brain science, the nervous system science behind that, I think definitely that kind of supports your ability to trust in that. Cause that in the beginning it, it is hard and it's still like, as you said, I mean, it could take a life. It's a lifelong process of, of trusting, you know, because your fears creep in so quickly, but really you can trust that humans really have this biological need to educate themselves. So interesting that you say that because parents often ask, how do I deal with this doubt? Like, I'm not sure that this is the right thing. And I understand that because we're doing something that really is not mainstream, or at least it isn't where I am. Um, You know, like Kara S. Anderson last week had said that we're in the homeschool settler era of homeschooling, not the pioneers, but we're in the set settlers aspect of history. And so it's newish. And so we're not doing this thing with everyone. And so people will question us, which helps fuel the doubt we already have about homeschooling. And is it working? And is it going to provide an education that will help my child do what they should do in this life? And I want to say, here's the 10 easy steps for de-schooling. And I do think that there are some steps we can go through. But just like you said, that trust is built because you keep watching them do this thing. And you watch more than one kid, which is even more helpful. Um, But you have as many kids as you want. But everybody can watch your kids learn and grow and, you know, do their thing. And then you realize, oh, yeah, this totally works. No question. And then the doubt is dispelled. And all along, you've been building that trust, just like you said, in your child and in their learning process. Found um something practical or tactile that you could do is like just taking pictures and do some documenting. You know, make it fun. Make a photo album online. Create a um, an autobiography or something, or print out pictures and document every day. You know, what kind of discussions you have, or that time for the reflection piece at dinner time. My family and I have a tradition of talking about our 
our highs of the day, our lows of the day, what we learned, what was funny about our days. So some some guiding questions to help bring more purpose and bring more meaning to the day. There's certainly some, you know, things that tactile things that you could put into place to make it feel more meaningful. But the self-doubt will, I mean, that will, that's natural, right? To feel that way. But two, you know, we don't know what kind of, we don't know all of the jobs and skill sets that are going to be needed, you know, 10, 20 years from now, what will education, you know, traditional education look like? Will everybody need to be getting degrees and certifications? I mean, that could look so much differently as we've seen just recently how that's changed with social media in the past, but we're in this like entrepreneurial, like innovative economy right now. And I just hope to foster as much like light, like love of learning and and creativity. Um, I like to think of the whole education thing as more of an existential thing that I like to go backwards in like going from the end of life and looking backwards. We can't know what our kids are going to be when they grow up or what they're going to do or how they're going to approach their lives. But we do know that we get to a certain age and we're going to look back in our own lives and ask, did we do the thing that we were meant to do on this earth? And Mm -hmm. so looking at an education, what's an education anyways, looking at it from that perspective and saying, what are you supposed to be here for? And as a six-year-old, you're probably not going to figure your academic path and, you know, figure out your plan for your portfolio for your college education. You're going to play right now. You're going to do Lego or whatever they do. That was my last son was a Lego guy. Still actually probably yeah. probably playing Lego right now. But whatever they're doing right now is the right thing for right now. And they'll keep building on that. And you'll keep facilitating that and finding things for them as they ask and need and give them the things that you think that they need. And then eventually they'll take over that role and then they will continue to uncover what am I supposed to do here on this earth? And then that will manifest in, should I go to post-secondary school or should I get a, you know, whatever it is that you need to go to the next step. And I see education kind of that direction. And it's exciting when you look at it that way, because you go, okay, what should we do today? Instead of, do I panic about their grade 12 diploma when they're four? Yeah. 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 I have had such a beautiful discussion with you. This has been so useful. This is so much the the stuff that I think you and I really connect on, on what we think is the most important aspect of our homeschool families. Do you have any last advice that you'd like to share with homeschool families? I'd like to share Tell me the value of self-connection, self-awareness, you know, moms, dads, caretakers of all kinds. It's overwhelming for sure. Taking care of your needs and definitely trusting, looking into the eyes of your children every day (laughs) for uh, longer than just a few seconds, you know, taking time to sit beside them, lay on the floor with them. You don't even have to say anything. Maybe just sit beside them. I guess as long as they're not shoving you away, right? But sit sit beside them. Try to get into their world throughout the day, a few times a day, a few moments, a few minutes, because that's so powerful. And that's going to build so much beautiful, like, intimate connection with your child. And they'll just feel like mom, mom gets me and mom is trying to 
you know, support me. And I think that's, that's key. But I've had such a pleasure as well, likewise, talking with you, learning from you and your podcast and what you have to offer. So I appreciate being here. Thank you. Well, thanks for being here. One last question is, uh, what memory have you created with your kids this last week? Oh, um, so we're on a vacation right now in New Jersey and Pennsylvania because we're visiting family. Um, so, so many memories, I guess. Um, we went to the beach with my parents and my brother had brought down uh, with his niece and nephew some sand shovels. So the kids are having fun playing with their shovels. And then just today, the kids went to play mini golf. I'd say watching them play with their cousins and with their grandparents is is so, so fun. So beautiful. Yeah, it is, especially after this year. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It was really our first reunion. Yeah. Uh My brother, my sister in well over a year. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you. Would you let the homeschool moms know where they can find you online? Yes, definitely. Thank you. So my website is ConsciousHomeschooling.com and it's Conscious-Homeschooling.com. It's Erica Kesselman. You can find me also on Facebook and on Instagram at Conscious Homeschooling. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Teresa. Have a lovely afternoon. And thank you for joining me today. I would love to learn more about who you are, so come on over to our Facebook group, the Homeschool Mama Support Group, or the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Instagram page, so we can support and encourage each other in our homeschool challenges. While you're there, you can check out the book of Homeschool Encouragement, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Nurturing the Nurturer. If you're a homeschool mama looking for extra support, ask me about the Homeschool Mama Retreat. All the show notes and links of this episode will be found at www.capturingthecharmlife.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and post a review, because when you do, you help other homeschool mamas learn more about how to take care of themselves, to nurture the nurturer. Until next time. I hope you and your kids have a charmed week. And if you're having one of those days, I hope you can reframe your challenges into your homeschool charms.